1: Hello and welcome to news and views from the Nerds. I have coined that. In the last five seconds, in my stick, we'll see. Now you know, you know us as a, a news show, uh, and we will continue to, you know, read the news and let you know what's going on in the world of F1. But we're also going to give you some of our views. We do that anyway, but we've changed the format. This is this is our plan. Uh, I still have Sam and Abby here with me. First things first. Most importantly, Sam, Abby, how are you both?
2: I'm very well, thank you. It's good to be podcasting with both of you. It feels like I haven't done a podcast with you guys in ages, so I'm very good, thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a couple of weeks off. Been, you know, weddinging for my sister and her now husband, uh, and then also was away. So yeah, I'm
1: excited to get back in the saddle. I've missed it. How are you, James? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, uh, not weddinging, fathering. Uh, and generally south of Francing, if we're, we're going with that way of uh, That's delivering. That's so fancy. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's lovely to be back. I've missed you both greatly. Um, and yes, we, we thought we might try and revamp things a bit, uh, especially, all, you know, all the long term. But during the summer break, there's obviously not a huge amount of news compared to your average mid-race week or not quite race week. But we thought we'll run through the news quickly for you. Uh, We'll take a little break. Uh, Yeah, and then we'll be getting on to a couple of big topics that we can debate later on, which will be whether the championship this this year would be wide open with two Sergio Perez's in a Red Bull. And also Crofty trying to basically revamp the face of F1 single-handedly. So stick around for those in the second half. But for now, I will throw to Abby to be our lead news anchor for the first
2: half. Thank you, James. Well, the first piece of news is all about Alpine. Obviously, just before the Belgian Grand Prix weekend, the team announced that Otmar Zafnauer, the team principal, would be leaving his role with immediate effect... Zaffnauer has now opened up, spoken to media about his departure, and he's kind of laid the blame at Renault's feet. He said, the parent company wanted to have a lot of control in a lot of areas of the racing team, more than I've ever seen before. You know, the commercial area, the marketing area, HR, finance, communication, all that stuff reported not to me, but around me to somebody else in the bigger organization. And they all act like a Navy and we have to be pirates in order to win. And he compared it to Red Bull saying that you can't say that everything is equal because teams like Red Bull have HR and finance, commercial aspects, etc, all reporting into Christian Horner, the team principal, the team boss, but Alpine don't, which therefore, as a result, Red Bull will win. And he also commented on the senior management not being entirely happy with Alpine's progress this season, not fitting in with their 100 race plan that, they, that Laurent Rossi announced at the beginning of the year. And he said, I think the senior management at Renault, the CEO, Luca De Mayo, wants, as everyone does in Formula One, success instantly. And unfortunately, that's not how it works in F1. I couldn't agree to an unrealistic timeline because if you do that, it's only a matter of time and everyone gets frustrated. So I laid out a very realistic and possible plan. And I think they wanted to shortcut that plan with somebody else. What do you guys think on his comments about his departure? Do you think it is Renault's fault?
0: I think they're the common denominator, right? You know, we've seen this time and time again from that team. It feels dysfunctional. It's interesting some of the comments you kind of make there, uh, or, or you, you know, Safnau's made that you've, you know, uh, shared with us. It feels a little bit like, yeah, that whole kind of, hey, you know, not all the departments are running through now. He's not, he's the team principal in name, but maybe not nature or or reality. It's a little bit like, take football as an example. He feels like a head coach more, more than a manager, and his his argument is that you need to, you need to be able to be a manager. You need to see all sides of it and have that within your gift. I do think that Renault wanting a lot of control is contradictory and it cuts against I don't know selling part of the team to a consortium. You can't have it both ways, right? And we said before that it just it smacks of we're not fully invested. And, and literally, they are now not fully invested. So, yeah, it's there. Are, there are problems there. We've seen the dysfunction over the last couple of years. Um, yes, Saf now maybe comes across slightly as a disgruntled ex-employee. He's going to, but again, he's right. This is you know this isn't football. To use that uh, comparison again, you're not going to get instant results. You need consistency, and you need to build on something over a number of years. Often. To get to the right place, Saffner's been there what eighteen months. It's not his fault that their hundred race strategy hasn't worked. They haven't delivered where they thought to where they thought they'd be when they came back into the sport what six seven years ago.
1: Yeah, it's been such a long time of them um, never quite making it. Different guises. It's been a bit messy. There's no real clear brand identity, which will be another thing. You know, we talk about obviously Mercedes is a bigger brand to start with, uh, but they've grown their brand exponentially amongst f1 fans and you know having lewis hamilton obviously helps as the the face of that brand but i don't think people when even with what three years now into alpine as the name really think i feel like people still think of them as renault i don't like there are so i drive past the alpine garage in paris and even i don't like i don't see any on the roads so i don't they're not getting much out of it in across the board at this point and also
0: changing your name to alpine to sell cars, to to raise the profile of the Alpine brand. A little bit like how Red Bull did with Alpha Tauri. Everyone knows about Alpha Tower clothing now. I didn't three or four years ago. But you do now. And obviously it's been helped by, you know, Will Buxton and, you know, various people wearing Alpha Tower clothing. But no one's buying Alpine cars. And that's why they changed the name. Don't feel fully invested. And also so many people I know will be like, oh yeah, um, who's a, uh, Who's Alpine? Are they new? People don't even know how to pronounce it. Like that, I think is a is a good yardstick of whether or not that project is working. Renault is an undeniably recognisable brand. If you want that kind of association, don't change the name. They like. It seems like they're. It's a confused approach that we've seen over the last few years. That isn't going all coherently in one direction and there's too much tension within different areas and aspects of of that team.
2: Well, it's interesting you touch on the Alpine brand because Bruno Famine, who's now the interim team principal of the team, has said that at Alpine, they have a fantastic project, a brand project to develop the brand with new products, and that it's very ambitious and super fascinating. But he said that, The main reason for the reshuffling of Alpine was because two weeks ago, the top management decided to go to phase two of the brand project with some changes. So it was only logical for the Formula One side, where mid-season they weren't quite performing where they expected to be, to also go ahead with some changes to try and reach their goals quicker.
0: Yeah, it's all well and good reaching your your goals quickly. But if you're not doing it sustainably, you're not going to be able to maintain that level and it's ultimately therefore all for naught.
2: Well, speaking of achieving goals, Charles Leclerc has put rumours to rest. He has confirmed that there is no bad blood between him and his teammate Carlos Sainz, but he has also confirmed that whilst he hasn't signed a new contract with Ferrari as of yet, he is very much looking forward to signing one because he desperately wants to win a world championship with Ferrari. He said, of course, I think every driver has considered their different options once they get the possibility, but I have a huge love of Ferrari and my first target and my first dream is to become a world champion with Ferrari more than anything else. So if there's a slight opportunity for it to happen, I will have no doubt about pushing to stay here at least. But he did explain that they haven't signed the new contract yet because at the moment that's not of the utmost importance to him or the team it is focusing on their performance and this current season that is their main goal.
0: I mean, I feel like the fact he needs to clarify that or feels he needs to clarify that is a damning indictment in itself. It doesn't really feel like... It sh- It feels like it shouldn't be news, right? Like, say, hypothetically, I want to get married. Doesn't it go without saying that, that I probably want to get married to the person I'm currently dating? Like... I shouldn't have to be like, I want to get married to my current girlfriend.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> because otherwise, what are we doing here? With, with that one, <laughs> that's, yeah, I mean, to Sam's girlfriend, if she's listening, uh, I can <laughs> confirm that he, he's uh, not looking at elsewhere, but uh, obviously that's what you're going to say is <laughs> a, a team. Thanks a for team the solid number. bro. <laughs> <laughs> as a team member, you're not going to say, yeah, I, Charlotte Claire is not going to say, I want to win a world championship with Mercedes. Like, yeah, it goes without saying. Um, but equally, I see his point in that we know his his family's love affair with Ferrari. We know that his dad really wanted him to drive for Ferrari. Sadly, didn't make it to see him do so. Obviously, Joel Bianchi, his godfather, was in the Ferrari Academy as well. So yeah, I think that's the point he's making. But equally, yes, as Sam so eloquently, said, <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to openly look elsewhere.
0: Hey, look! If Heidi Klum came knocking on my door, then, wow! I feel really old. I was going to
1: say, she's like, she's got a daughter who's a supermodel. now. you could
0: Could could have been Claudia Schiffer. Um, well, actually, maybe not for the podcast. But my friends have a quite unfavorable name uh, nickname for me uh, with regard to uh, older women. But anyway, why am I saying this? Let's move on. <laughs> anyway. Moving on from Claudia Schiffer, uh, who Abby almost certainly doesn't know who who Claudia Schiffer is, uh, to another German, um, another retired German. I assume Claudia Schiffer is retired. Anyway, I don't know much about Claudia Schiffer other than she used to be a model in the 90s. But I do know that Sebastian Vettel, a four-time F1 world champion, has spoken about his first year of retirement. And one of the big... Um, talking points is something that Vessel has become increasingly invested in over the last few years and that is the environment and sustainability and the pursuit of a greener more prosperous tomorrow uh, in that sense and so he has revealed that over the past few years he has started to track his um his carbon footprint So in this interview, um, he said, A few years ago, I started measuring my carbon footprint. My car kilometres written down every flight, every overnight stay. Seeing that number compared to that of the average Joe blew my mind. After that, I took steps to get the value down. And he also revealed that the vast kind of wealth of that that reduction was in the elimination of flights so for the european races last year he drove to all of them um with the exception of Silverstone and budapest which would have been too far obviously certain races it just isn't logistically feasible for him to drive to um i think this is really interesting that he's talking about i think it's something that uh drivers and people within motorsport need to talk about more uh in fact what was interesting um, was that in Formula E, which obviously the electric, the premier electric series in single seat racing, um, world champion Lucas, a former world champion Luke, Lucas Trossi, replied to um, to a story about this qu- that quoted Vettel and in his interview, saying, "Curiosity is that driving a V eight or similar will emit same emissions as commercial planes per kilometer." And much more if you account for total lifetime assessment. If you don't drive your car, sustainability is complex. Still, I admire his effort. Good message. And see, I think this is where the the really kind of key point here is in this is that the debate is critical. We need to be talking about these things. We need a a marketplace of ideas. Um, to use some real kind of political jargon for you. Um, uh, and I think he's absolutely right. And interestingly, Vettel does actually c- cover this. He talks about how a lot of cars that he drives are electric, or he's a, a VW bus with a combustion engine, but he also has a, a Porsche taken. So he is also then miscasing that. And I myself almost got run over by Sebastian Vettel on a bicycle at Zandvoort last year. So I can can't attest that when he can, he rides his bike as well. I've to what a claim to fame. It's it's funny because he was on the pavement and everyone was looking at the road trying to see the drivers drive out and he was just... Absolutely nobody saw him. I was just, you know, kind of walking out of the circuit. But Anyway, this story isn't about me. Um, guys, what do you think? Do you think this is a realistic target for, for F1 drivers to be more conscious of this, to be doing what they can more? Should they have to? Or ultimately do the improvements need to be on a larger scale
1: from the the teams and the actual sport itself. Well of course they need to be on a larger scale but yeah it's it's being you know the the face of it going I'm sure so many people have seen you know, Seb and Lewis and the you know their strides they're making towards trying to be sustainable and yeah net zero themselves and it does make people think because they've had such huge fan bases uh so yeah it's you can do a huge amount more as a a multiple world champion in terms of yeah changing the way that the world looks at it than the average Joe can um yeah uh, it's great to see what they have done that's obviously that's you know people love or hate them just up oil that is their thing that they are these protests are just to get the conversation started like you said um, whether you think they go about it in the right way or not is a, a debate which we won't be having today. Uh, but but yeah, uh, I think it's it's good to hear how Seb has been going about life after retirement. And yeah, interesting to see how yeah it led him there. Obviously, he had those questions put at him on Question Time, didn't he, about being a hypocrite.
2: Yeah, he did. Actually, I remember that now, but it is good to see him and other racing drivers have this conversation. Like you say, obviously, F1 has a goal to be like net zero by 2030, which is seven years away. And they have made changes at the 2024 calendar. They've tried to group the races by like continent. So there are less air miles that way, but not every race is consecutive. So there is more to be done, I think, for the sport on a larger level. But it is good to see like retired racing drivers like Vettel, Lucas Degrassi, Formula E, like you say, Sam, which is like up and coming still as a championship, which more people need to pay attention to because... This is a conversation that needs to be having. And I think when drivers have this platform that they can utilise, it is good to see them having this conversation because it does get people thinking and it does get people talking.
1: It was quite a backhanded compliment from from Lucas. Uh, but he is a friend of the podcast, so we'll, we'll let him off. He even uh, gave me an open invite to his uh, scooter championship that he was uh, pushing when he was on the, the podcast. But anyway, uh, I think we'll wrap it up there for our for our news. And we'll be back with our views after this short break. So yes, let's have a debate. And first point of order is Zach Brown's opinion that uh, if there were two Sergio Perez's in the Red Bull this year, the championship would be wide open. Do you guys agree with that? Let's just get straight to it. I think the, the context is clear. Do you agree with him? Do you disagree with him? I'll start with you, Sam. I ultimately agree.
0: It's quite obviously nowhere near as black and white as as Zach Brown is making it out to be. Um if you have two Sergio Perez's um, they will still come out roughly where they need to be. You know, it's in a it's the it's it's the car, right? A lot of it. Um I think his point is that I think his point is actually saying more about Verstappen. But anyway. I think that yes, you have got a much more of a fight. Whether it ultimately is closer is very difficult to tell. And I'm being quite diplomatic with this. Uh, there was a, a theory that I that was used a lot when I was at university, and it was basically saying that if you you can't take you can't go back in time and change a variable and then rerun it because and see what the the different outcome would be because by changing that variable you therefore change every other little aspect of that scenario. And that's the same thing here. Take Verstappen out of the equation, other unforeseen things happen. It isn't just a case of you've got two pairs in the car, no Verstappen. You know, the the, the whole race and, and each race is, is changed. Um, so without laboring the point too much, I think you would see a a more consistent operator in say a Fernando Alonso of the early part of the season where he is the clear dominant driver in, in that team he's not losing points to his teammates um, I think it would be significantly closer I don't know if it'd be as close Zach as that Brown is maybe kind of trying to lead people to believe
1: okay uh, before I, I give my opinion Abby do you agree with Zach not with Sam or do you disagree
2: I think he certainly has a point Zach was basically saying that Max is killing the season at the moment because he has such a special relationship. Him and Red Bull, it's unstoppable. We've seen that. He is 125 points ahead of his teammate with half of the race is done. There is no stopping him. With Perez, there would certainly be less of a gap if you had two drivers of his level in the same car. But like Sam said, it is down to the car as well. You can be an amazing racing driver, but if you don't click with the car, then you're not going to be able to outperform it or perform necessarily as well as you think you would or the team would like. I think Zach has a point. I wouldn't say it would be wide open. It would still be between the two Red Bull drivers because no other team can match that car at the moment. But yeah, he does have a point, I think.
0: And Also, just quickly before you... um give you a say, James. Abby's actually then, you know, kind of touched upon one of those kind of things that is changed because you've altered the scenario. Without Max Verstappen, you don't engineer the car towards Max Verstappen. You engineer the car towards your two Sergio Perez's who, let's assume, race the same way, are the same driver or, or basically carbon copies of each other. And yes, they will have different patches of consistency like you would with anyone because you've got you know, two drivers on the level, you know, they're not going to both set the same laptop in each each qualifying lap. But that red ball would be more to Sergio Perez's liking. And to be fair, earlier in the season, we saw what Sergio Perez can do when given the opportunity.
1: You've, you've stolen some of my points. Uh, that is, yeah, part of what I was going to say, why I disagree uh, with Zach Brown. As much as, yeah, and I, I understand, like you said, his overarching points is that Max is killing it this year and he is absolutely it's that perfect synergy of car and driver that we've seen a few times in the past uh yeah, a handful of times in F1 history but yeah I think Sergio Perez absolutely it's not wide open no way is this championship wide open with two Sergio Perez's uh in the Red Bull because he wouldn't be yeah like you said we we've seen I think the the car setup or the the updates and the development of the car move towards Max's Preference uh, and Max's preference is very difficult for other drivers to to get on board with. We've seen that with Pierre Gasly. We've seen that with Alex Albon as well. Like see, a very lively car, which not many drivers can handle, other than someone like Max. So yeah, a, a far more comfortable Checo Perez, who is not trying as hard as well, because that is a huge part of his horrible string of misfortune and mistakes, was down to the fact. That he was trying too hard because he thought he was in a championship battle, and he knows he's up against a what will surely be proved to be all time great in Max Verstappen, and he tried too hard, and he started putting it in the wall, and he started overcompensating. Uh, uh, Checo Perez is against someone who is yeah, another Checo Perez. is just going to plot away, plot away. Is is just going to yeah, do what he needs to do and. Yeah, Alonso and his impressive consistency would have had him near ish in the first part of the season. He would have then fallen away totally. I think the the two Checo Perez's in this scenario are way clear still of the rest of the field. Yeah, it, that's uh,
0: exactly like it's, it would be close, obviously. We can't deny that because there is a, an obvious gap to, um, to Verstappen mm-hmm. from from where Perez currently is, and we've seen that over the last six, seven rounds. Perez has not looked the driver he did in the earliest part of the season. But I think realistically, let's face it, Zach Brown is a political operator. That's what he does. And he's just trying to ruffle feathers. He's trying to kind of really- No love lost there, is there? Absolutely. Get his wedge in there. <laughs> Zach and Red Bull. Um, well, exactly. And if you can- um, you yeah, kind of so you know plant the seeds of discontent even more so than they currently already are a red bull you're, you're going to do it you're going to try and disrupt it you're going to try and rock the boat because if you do you might increase your chances of mistakes happening or whatever it might be and who's going to be there to mop up any mistakes at the moment on current form mclaren
1: uh, so i'm going to to push you for a, a definitive yes or no answer here, I've decided that's how this format works. Sam, do you agree or disagree with Zach on this? One word. Yes. Pains me to say, but yes. Okay. I Abby, do. agree or disagree?
2: Okay. Disagree because it wouldn't be a wide open championship.
1: Okay, it's more than one word, but I'll allow it because you uh, you're on my side. I am going to disagree <laughs> with Zach Brown, uh, but yes. Talking Um, of rules that I've made up uh, takes us neatly onto the second debate point, uh, which is about, well, yeah, the rules of F1. So in a nutshell, David Croft, this is kind of a twofold one, uh, but it's Crofty thinks that the FIA should be removed from the rulemaking process of F1. That is one point. Uh, and part of that, he would also like to see a separate sprint championship, uh, well the points for the sprint handed out separately so we get a world sprint champion we'll try and kind of condense these into a, a one agree or disagree uh, but let's get started on anyway uh, with abby abby what do you think about his his two points
2: well with the rules he's saying that the FIA and then liberty media the commercial rights holder should be more aligned in terms of governing the sport and i think that Like, he has a point there. They should be more aligned. It shouldn't be heavily weighted to one or the other. But I don't think the FIA should stop making the rules because they're the governing body of the sport. They govern a lot of motorsport series, the feeder series. It makes sense for the FIA to be in charge. And I think if they weren't, I feel like a lot of chaos would ensue. And I don't think anyone's ready for that. Um, With the sprint format... Crofty has proposed like a sprint Friday. So this year we've obviously had the sprint Saturday with the um, shootout qualifying and then the sprint race. And on the Friday, he'd keep that, but also have a 20 minute warm up session on the Friday morning and then normal qualifying FP1 and then the Grand Prix Saturday and Sunday, which I quite like because we've said many times before on various podcasts this season, having... FP1 and then qualifying for the Grand Prix on the Friday and then a sprint Saturday and then the Grand Prix on the Sunday. It The weekend loses its momentum and I've forgotten what's happened in qualifying for the Grand Prix before because qualifying for the sprint is the one that's fresh in my mind. So having the sprint day earlier in the weekend makes sense. I'm not sure about a separate world championship for the sprint. Crofty said like you could have reserve drivers coming into it instead if other drivers didn't want to participate, which would be interesting because then you get a more mixed up field, especially if you have like junior drivers like Jack Doon for Alpine or Frederick Vesti for Mercedes. That would be interesting if you brought drivers from the academy up into it. But I'm not entirely sold on a whole sprint world championship and then the normal F1 World Championship because it wouldn't feel like F1 if it's a sprint World Championship.
1: I mean, it can't be a sprint Friday because that's not alliteration and that's clearly why they've got sprinting <laughs> so. uh, Exactly. No, so Sam, what needs to be It
0: needs to be more of an emphasis on marketing, as Crofty says, not on engineering. Um, I, on the first count, so this is the FIA not being able to make rules, I disagree because Crofty's point is convoluted and contradictory by nature because he's Talking about, oh yeah, well, you know, basically implying that the FIA is um, causing problems for F1 in in the direction it wants to go in, and is holding it back, is making it place safe, is, is 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 bringing it to the safe point. Um, and actually, a lot of the current rules and current way that F1 operates is of F1's choosing, not the FIA's. And I think if you analyse the situation, F1, I personally am not a fan of F1 being a listed company that is at the whims of its fiduciary duties to stockholders because you are always going to be seeking out higher profits. You are seeking out entertainment over sporting integrity and you're always going to run yourself into problems in that environment. And we saw that with the last lap of the Australian Grand Prix, we saw that with the last lap of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in 2021, and when that is governing the decision-making process, you are in F1. That is putting pressure on the FIA to up the game, up the entertainment. So I think the, I think that is actually the, the nucleus of the issue, not the FIA. Um, does there need to be more clarity between the two? Absolutely, yes. But I think realistically, the FIA is probably holding back F1, but in a positive way. I think F1 could go all over the place if you uh, if you let it and you'd end up with 30 races a season, which is, again, bringing me on to the second point, what Crofty is saying, you know, we, we can't really do. That's too much. Fans don't want it. People working in the sport certainly can't handle that. That is too much uh, for people. An F1 weekend isn't Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You get in there Tuesday, Wednesday. You've got media down Thursday. You're packing up on Monday. You're going to the next race that's, you know, for the next know, You're working on a back-to-back or a triple header three weeks straight, basically. So on the second point, I do like the idea. I think it's actually a really good idea. Abby's touched upon kind of having a... Um, using some of the F2 drivers, you know, the academy. I think that works. And obviously, therefore, you would have to have it on non-F2 or F3 weekends... That's not a problem. The calendar's big enough to do that. Jack Doohan, as the Alpine reserve, take him as an example, he travels to races with Alpine even when there is an F2 weekend because he needs to be in the car with Pierre or Esteban, Esteban can't be. Also, say you put Victor Martins in the other Alpine car. That is a really, really good way for Alpine to assess who's the next guy up? Who's, who, who's, who's, who's the person that's stepping into that car if Esteban Ocon gets a drive in the Mercedes because Lewis Hamilton's retired, hypothetically, I'm not saying it will be, but yeah. So I think that could there could be some real merit to that. You only need to do it five six races a season, um, as we have in the current guys. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think actually the the suggestion works. And he's also talked about having a quick warm up on the Friday morning. I think that that is is a good idea. And by doing as I said, on non f 2 weekends, you don't really have to shuffle the weekend too much or have people in different cars at different points, uh, which would be difficult for them to adapt to.
2: Just quickly going back to your point, Sam, about the sport being for marketing purposes. Crofty has said that they do need to think about the show and the spectacle and that marketing sometimes needs to be a bit more important than the engineering, which I think is why he's come out and said that the FAA shouldn't be involved in the rules because it is more about the marketing and liberty media and growing the sport that way, which I'm against, I must say. It's not what you want for it just to be the spectacle. Obviously, there needs to be some fan entertainment in that, but I feel like the FAA should still be the governing body.
0: It's almost like people think this is a chicken and egg argument, and it's not. Get the engineering side right, get the rules, get the sport right, and the marketing and the fans and the entertainment will follow you, you know you, you can't otherwise you're marketing a dead horse you're flogging a dead horse a sport
1: that isn't exactly as the saying goes
0: yeah, yeah, yeah you're marketing a dead horse um so, so it's yeah the emphasis should always be on the sport everything else will come after that is the first point you get to and that should be the the central pillar
1: I feel like you can make a, a very mean joke about Ferrari and, and dead horses and blocking them. But I will just go and say that I disagree nice. overall with Crofty as much as I love the man. Um, yeah, for, for what it's worth. Uh, I don't, yeah. I'll quickly, I think you guys have nailed it overall on, on the first part of it. Um, yeah, I think having, the FIA isn't perfect and I think it needs to get certain things in order clearly. Uh, but yeah, it's just making making rulemaking more convoluted is never a good thing. And the fact that the F1 teams have as much of a say as they do already, I think it is an issue. Uh, yeah, if the FIA were an even more separate standalone rulemaking entity, I think it would be better overall for the sport. Um, yeah, let the gamekeepers rule and not the... I can't. I can't remember enough of that saying to to actually make it make sense. You know where I'm getting at. So I'll move on to the second yeah. part. Don't uh, let the, the inmates run the asylum. Exactly. For a, 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 I guess slightly now PC less saying. But anyway, uh, yeah. The the sprint one. I, I, yeah. I I actually agree pretty much with what you guys have said on this one. I think I love the idea of having a sprint championship separate but only if it is for, yeah, the academy and reserve drivers. I think that would be great. It would still, people would tune in. It would increase, uh, you know, the casual viewers' knowledge of the up-and-coming drivers because not everyone bothers paying attention. It's getting more traction now, F2 and F3. But overall, your average fan just tunes in for the start, loses interest, goes watch something else. Konabi, Go you've got a point.
2: Sorry. It just came to me. If you had the separate sprint um, championship and you do it for the teams drivers from 2024, each F1 team will be backing an F1 Academy series driver. And linking back to Danica Patrick's comments from last week, she said that female racing drivers are going to have to race against males at the end of the day, so all female series aren't necessarily what they should be racing in. So, if you had a sprint championship that was reserve drivers or academy drivers, you could then involve the F1 academy females and see yeah. how they measure up against the males that are in the, t- the teams academies. The
0: yeah. the one thing I would say against that though is that you'd then need more testing in F2 machinery and F1 testing generally, because I also wouldn't even I wouldn't put the FIA F3 drivers in an F1 car. Mm. You know or, or, or let them compete in F It's F1 a big car. jump. Yeah, it's a big jump, and part theory, of the issue with W series yeah. was it was an F three car, and the grassroots infrastructure wasn't there for those drivers to be re- ready for that level, and that was part of the
1: part of the problem uh, in that series. But anyway, um, but yeah, go on, James. Um, yeah, no, it's a great point, Abby, and I think in theory, if you have a really promising F one academy driver who has already found their way into at least an F2 test or, you know, yeah, certainly. Um, but overall, I think, like I said, it, it would increase the average fan's yeah knowledge of the young drivers coming through. It would give them opportunities to prove themselves and that would actually make it a championship worth paying attention to. No one is going to care who got the sprint championship. It's like, you know, these, these things have existed in the past. I think there's the, um, is it the Jim Clark trophy for the, the best British driver? You know, these kind of honorary things exist and it's a footnote in the season and go oh you know Lewis won it again or for the first time in a long time George won it last year whatever but no one really cares and that would be the same thing with a sprint Uh, and it wouldn't really change the, the interest level in it I think but having a bunch of and some will be names that they'll know because yeah certainly Alpine would have a couple of strong drivers there in in Martins and doing but some not so much maybe maybe you could end up with a Ferrari team which had Oli Behrman and, and Giovinazzi and, or something they would want to compare and contrast or maybe earlier in the season it could have been Danny Rick against Liam Lawson or Owasa or whoever and it would be really interesting and I think that would be a, a genuinely good way to use the sprint format which I think we all agree is still not great completely and I think with, with Crofty's
0: idea it's very yes, it's very much in its infancy, right? It's just the the, it's a baby idea. It's the tadpole of an idea at this stage, but all the key tenants to the idea are there, um, and much like kind of, uh, as mentioned earlier about kind of, not using the same same drivers or you know would that be a bit like oh well we know all these drivers, in cricket, t twenty t twenty cricketers don't necessarily play in the full test team, you know internationally say. There, there are drivers that kind of, you know, there are, are cricketers that do both. But yeah, I think that's the kind of key point, isn't it? Is that you get something fresh and different from from the people that you're seeing lining up on the grid.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so with the heavy caveat, that I think we all strongly agree with, uh, as Sam referred to it, the tadpole idea of uh, a sprint championship <laughs> run by yeah. reserve drivers Overall, do we agree or disagree with Crofty? Sam? One word. Across both of them,
0: across both. Oh, I'm going to say. Oh, uh, yeah, well, I'm going to say overall yes, I do because um, I think the the second point is
1: more substantial than the first. No, we're not good at one word answers, Abby. What
2: Sam said. Oh, I was going to try and come up with one word to echo that. No, so yes.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah. Overall, I disagree with Crofty, but yeah. I'll let him off because contra. Well, I think I think we all disagreed with the first part, didn't we? Uh, yes, we did. Yeah.
2: So it's
1: 50-50. I don't, Are you still, I don't you like the championship being yeah. separate, but I do like that part. That one part redeems him. Uh, overall though, I will say disagree. But that's our our debates for the week done. That's the news covered. I think I think I enjoyed this format. Uh, we may yes. well be back with it, I think. Yes. But uh, yes, thank you guys for joining me for our news and views from the nerds, whether or not we're going to call it that, we'll see. Um, and as ever, thank you, listener, for joining us and be sure to head over to nerds.com for any other news stories and I'm sure some debates you can find on there in the comments section as well. Sam? And also, if you really, really disagreed
0: with us or had... So, uh, feel there are things that we left on the table in these debates please do get in touch with us at info at formula Um and you never know we might even be able to get a segment in uh, down the line where we talk about some of those views uh, and kind of pick up where we left off before we get into the, the current week's news
1: great point uh, and another good idea We're full of good ideas this weekend guys um, but yeah uh, we'll be back soon uh, I know Abby has a, a mid- season quiz planned for us uh but whatever we're back with exactly we'll be back very soon and t- until then it is still lights out myself and away we go bye-bye if you're listening to the cut to the race podcast it's lights out and away we go, we go. We go. sports social podcast network